Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, can you tell me about your hopes and dreams and hopefully work in the phrase world peace while you're at it? Well, world peace actually is my number one dream, Molly. I hope to achieve it here and beyond in these United States and south of us in the borders below and across the ocean blue. You just totally dissed Canada. You only said borders below. (laughs) No one lives in Canada. Oh, no, we have so many Canadian (laughs) listeners. That was a joke. Oh, I guess maybe. Do you think that part of becoming Miss America, which is our topic today, is dissing Canada? Do you think Miss America has to be ready to go to war against Canada at all times? I don't know, but I think that that should be the next uh, question for Miss America during their Q&A time. Would you be ready to go to war against Canada? Yes. Could you could you arm wrestle Miss Canada for world supremacy? Ooh, I'm not very good at arm wrestling. I'd probably lose. Well, never be Miss America. <laughs> I'm too old to be Miss America now, I learned from our podcast research. That's true. This, this podcast is specially aimed at girls 17 to 24. Just gave away my age, uh-oh. Because <laughs> those are the girls eligible to compete as Miss America. And obviously, if you're younger than that, then, you know, get ready to go because prime prime pageant years are coming up. Yeah, well, there's also Miss Teen USA, too. Today, we're just going to focus on Miss America, right. Kristen. Okay. Because there's so many pageants out there. So many. we got to narrow it down. And to me, growing up, this one was like the ideal pageant. It was the classiest of the pageants. True. And Miss I- USA was just a skin show. True. And she didn't have a talent. Yeah, that's the big difference between the two. Talent was just bikini wearing. We'll get to that later. But is she still relevant? Is this is this thing that I grew up watching? I can still remember. I even looked up the year for you, Kristen, because I remember this lady made such an impact on me. In 1992, I watched when Carolyn Suzanne Sapp was crowned Miss America. And then in that year, she did a television movie about domestic violence because her boyfriend had beat her. And I remember thinking, man, if this could happen to Miss America, it could happen to anyone. Wow. I mean, that year, Miss America made a really big influence she on me. She did. I don't, I can't tell you the last time that I watched Miss America in full. I know that it happened at some point, but it's been a while. But I don't think you're alone. So that's why today we're going to answer the question, is she still relevant? Because she was very relevant to me in 1992, but now we just had a Miss America pageant. I didn't even watch it. Yeah. Ratings have gone way down just to give you a sense of just how little America now cares about well, Miss America. Let's look at some some ratings. Okay. So, in 1991, just a year before that monumental Miss America mm-hmm. pageant for you, first of all, the pageant was on NBC, right, major network, with 26.7 million viewers. Okay. Now, last year, well, actually, last January. The pageant was not only on TLC, a cable network, and uh, Our corporate I, I think parent. we should say a corporate parent slash affiliate. Only 3.5 million viewers tuned in, and that represents a drop of 87%. I know. And noted uh, cultural scholar Mario Lopez, a.k.a. A.C. Slater. A.C. Slater. He attributes this to the rise of magazines like Maxim, which means that, you know, you don't have to tune into Miss America to see a girl in a bikini anymore. Yeah. So maybe that's why some guys don't tune in anymore. Or reality shows. 
In fact, in that same Entertainment Weekly article that Mario Lopez is quoted, Jessica Valenti, who founded Feministing.com, says, why get worked up about Miss America when you really should get worked up about what the ladies are doing on, like, The Bachelor or The Bachelorette? Mm-hmm. So at one point, this pageant used to be something that everyone tuned into. Yeah. A lot of people got mad about, and now no one even cares. So how did we get there? How did we get there? Well, it all started back in Atlantic City. The place where dreams are born. Yes. Uh, in 1921, we've got all these hotel owners who are trying to persuade families to stay a little bit longer in Atlantic City. And they figure out that one way to get people to stay is to put on a big pageant. Yeah. So they organized around Labor Day. Um, they organized something called the Fall Frolic. Now, doesn't that sound fun, Molly? It does. A Fall Frolic. Now, when the Fall Frolic began, there were 350 decorated rolling wicker chairs that were pushed along the parade route down, I think it was down the boardwalk in Atlantic City. And you had handsome, eligible men pushing the chairs along. And seated inside those chairs were costumed maidens. Right. Fair maidens for onlookers to to gaze upon and think about and revel, revel in. Well, everyone was involved, though. Yeah. You know, I read one quote that said that, you know, when they, one year and they're like, well, there's going to be a bathing suit competition. Everyone was dressing up in their bathing suit. Not a bathing suit competition, but like a bather's review. That's right. It was classy. Yes. But even though there were hundreds of these people dressed up, only eight people were competing for this beauty pageant title. And the first winner, our first Miss America was Margaret Gorman, a 15 year old schoolgirl from Washington, D.C. Now, I was amazed at what was said about old Margaret Gorman by uh, American Federation of Labor President Samuel Gompers. He told the New York Times that Gorman represented the type of woman that America needs, strong, red-blooded, able to shoulder the responsibilities of homemaking and motherhood. It is in her type that the hope of the country rests. Yes. Whoa. That is a lot of pressure for a 15-year-old. A 5'1", 15-year-old <laughs> is the hope of America. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Yeah, and from there, um, the parade and festivities expanded, the popularity grew, um, and other people from other parts of the country started getting involved. We start to see the beginning of this pageant system. But they were not very good about setting rules at the very beginning. And uh, one thing that kind of embarrassed them in the early days was that they forgot to include a no marriage clause. And so they had, like, you know, married women and women with babies showing huh. up. And uh, I think the hotel owners realized that it it got a little creepy then when you were judging some man's wife. These women, they had loose morals. They needed they needed young flesh to to feast upon. I think wholesome young flesh that is Molly, because one of one of the rules was no makeup and no bobbed hair, right? Which were symbols of of worldliness. I think that's in. I think that's an interesting distinction. Is that in the early days it was no bobbed hair, no artificial artificial means to achieve beauty, whereas now, you know, now there are some women who've been tweaked a little bit, maybe a tad, but a plastic that, surgeon involved, <laughs> but that contest ended in 1928. Right. The, the, bad pu- the bad publicity. Yes. Because all these married women were showing up. So now they try and revive it a few times, but they keep having married contestants show up. Um, they revive it in 1935 and in 1937, the Miss America they crowned disappeared, just ran away. Oh, dear. Wanted to go back to school. Um, so now they're trying to class it up. And I think that you can really trace a lot of the class and a lot of the, that is attributed to Lenora Slaughter, 
who, um, in 1938 added a talent competition. So it wasn't just, you know, crass, crass bathing suit beauties. They had to, they had to be talented too. And she was also the woman who, um, started the scholarship program. So now it's not the beauty pageant. It's a scholarship program. So she's really attributed with, with bringing dignity back to Miss America. But the contest was still restricted to a very select group of girls. For instance, as late as in 1940, all of the contestants had to list on a biological biological data sheet how far back they could trace their ancestry. And that was because the contest was formally restricted in its rules to only white girls. Right. Um, and even in 1945, when Bess Meyerson, uh, who was Jewish, was selected as Miss America, they tried to convince Meyerson to change her name, to go under a different name, uh, so that other people wouldn't find out that, oh my gosh, we have a, a Jewish Miss America. Mm-hmm. And that just, you know, reflects the uh, enormous anti-Semitism and racism of the time. Right. But, you know, it, like you said, it's of the time. And the song, There She Is, Miss America, comes into being in the 1950s. And one of the lines is, that's our ideal. So that's sort of the question I think is worth thinking about as we go through this and as we think about the pageant today and whether it's still relevant is, do we have a national ideal anymore? Mm-hmm. So apparently back then our national ideal was pretty, as you said, racist and anti-Semitic. Yes. But other than that, Mark, uh, historians consider the 1940s and 1950s of Miss America to be sort of like the golden years. That's when the song came into being. Burt Parks hosted the pageant for years and years and was very popular. The one interesting thing did happen in 1951. Yes, we have Alabama and Yolanda Betbeezy, who did not want to wear a bathing suit in public, so mm-hmm. she couldn't compete in the very popular you know, swimsuit portion. And because of that, Catalina Swimwear, which was a big sponsor, uh, founded two rival beauty pageants you may have heard of, Miss USA and Miss Universe. Right. So we have a headstrong Alabaman to thank for these other two major competitions. Right. But other than that, like we said, it's, 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 it's relatively going along pretty easy. Yeah. It seems like it's until, sailing. but you know, then at the same time in the country, we've got civil rights starting to happen. We've got, uh, the women's movement and everything comes to a head in 1968 with the women's liberation front. Yes. And this is where the, Common uh, slang, I guess, for feminist bra burners comes about, even though no bras were actually burned. We have a large group of feminist protesters outside the Miss America pageant, and they bring with them all sorts of symbols of you know, their oppression, such as uh, household magazines like... Um, Harper's Bazaar, Cosmo, Cosmo, Good Housekeeping. Journal. They bring aprons. They bring all sorts of things. Curlers, curlers, false eyelashes, and brassiers. And they throw them into these giant trash cans. And they were going to light them on fire, but that didn't end up working out. I think because they weren't allowed to set anything on fire. Right. It was a wooden boardwalk. Yeah, I think a little unsafe. <laughs> Not a good idea. So they didn't end up setting anything on fire. But the uh, the media totally swarmed in on this protest and someone coined the term bra burners and then Mm -hmm. it just took off from there. But in fact, people, no, no bras were burned. So at the protest, these women circulated a brochure called No More Miss America. And you can find the text online, but we're going to read some sections of it because it's a pretty, pretty fabulous brochure, if I do say so myself. I don't think you have to agree with 100% of it to just love the language that it's written in. 
and to wish that you'd been alive in 1968. For instance, in case of arrest, we plan to reject all male authority and demand to be busted by policewomen only. In Atlantic City, women cops are not permitted to make arrests. Dig that. Yeah, we really loved the language in this. Um, Let's go over who uh, these feminists invited. They invited women's liberation groups, black women, high school and college women, women's peace groups, women's welfare and social work groups, women's job equality groups, pro-birth control and pro-abortion groups, women of every political persuasion, but they did not invite men. Yeah. They specifically said male chauvinist reactionaries on this issue had best stay away, nor are male liberals welcome in the demonstrations. But sympathetic men can donate money as well as cars and drivers. And I think we should mention that this was organized by the New York radical women. And they had 10 major points that uh, I think we should toss out that they were protesting against. Number one, the degrading mindless boob girly symbol. Mm Mm-hmm. It likened women to being uh, specimens up for 4 age ribbons that, you know, they check their teeth, they check their body. It was, it was silly beauty standards is what these women were upset about. And then we also have racism with roses because, um, as we mentioned earlier, uh, the contest was really o- only open to white women. And since its inception in 1921, uh, and this is in 1968, the pageant had not had one black finalist. Right. Or any other nationality. Yeah. Now, the the women were also upset that Miss America would always go talk to the troops abroad. And since Vietnam was going on, they called Miss America a mascot for murder, saying that she had to go off and cheer up boys into dying and that this was not what the ideal woman should be doing. And they also called it out for hawking uh, commercial items. Obviously, they had major sponsors um, and also perpetuating this beauty myth. I mean, that's a that's an argument that still comes up with the with the the Miss America contest. And then this idea of, you know, Miss America to to borrow a phrase from Elvis Costello, being this year's model. You know, right. she's just cycled in and out every year. Who can remember one. last year's Miss America's yeah. name? Yeah. Um so they're saying that women are disposable. They have to exhibit this commonly referred to combination known as Madonna whore. They have to be wholesome enough to win everyone's vote, but they still need to be sexy enough to, you know, entertain the home viewers. And then they also rejected this idea that while, you know, every little boy supposedly wants to grow up to be president, the dream for little girls should be to prance across the stage in hopes of winning a crown. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem very fulfilling. A beauty pageant. Yeah. There's very little power with that. You're just there for to please other people. Your hood ornament. Yeah. So I think that many of these criticisms um, are still in play to some extent. But mm-hmm. if no one watches Miss America, then then does it matter? Right. Because in 1968, it was still wildly popular and got really great television ratings, a far sight from the kind of pitiful ratings that it gets today. So protests continue on uh, into the 70s. In fact, Miss America 1972 was burned in effigy by radical feminists as she toured various cities during her reign. Um, which is pretty scary, but the pageant does start to make some strides in terms of more minorities participating. In 1984, we have Vanessa Williams who becomes the first black Miss America, right. which is great. But However, she also receives death threats. It is a very, she also receives death threats. And then it turns into a really sad story because a little later after she has won her crown, these pornographic photos of her surface mm-hmm. and 
everything just falls apart for right. Vanessa. You know, it's just Penthouse this, published them. Penthouse publishes them. And I think it was one of the best selling mm-hmm. issues ever. Mm-hmm. And um, so she had to resign. Yeah. For once, the first runner up actually got to take Miss America's place. Yeah, although I think that a similar thing happened with Miss America recently after she was crowned, I think a couple of years ago. Pornographic pictures of her surfaced as well. I have to say that there seem to be a lot of nude pictures of people sprouting up, and I just want to tell you out there, don't take nude pictures. Just don't do it, people. It will come back to haunt you. Yeah. That's my opinion on nude pictures. Mm-hmm. I digress. But speaking of being nearly nude, I think it's time to bring back this conversation to the issue of swimsuits. Yes. Because in recent years, people have said, we don't need a Miss America to parade around in a swimsuit to think that she is, you know, our ideal. And there was talk in the 1990s of abolishing the swimsuit competition. Right. And they actually put it up to an audience vote Mm -hmm. during one of these competitions. And... It's still around. The people wanted the, the swimsuit competition. What was the, what was the statistic there, Molly? You know, I think the home audience voted three to one to keep it, but you know, the women who participated in it also were in favor of keeping it. The vote was 42 to seven. 42 to seven. With one woman abstaining from the vote. That makes a solid 50. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she explained her refusing to vote as, you know, I'm okay with it either way. I don't necessarily want to put on a swimsuit, but. It's a means to an end. And that brings up, I think, what that means to an end is. And that is the platform, which came into being in the late 1980s. Yes. And by platform, you are referring to the social issue that each contestant has to adopt Mm -hmm. as her kind of pet project. Like some people will do homelessness or education or world peace, what have you. So this platform coming into being in the late 1980s, I think, exhibits, you know, the identity crisis that the pageant has been in since that time. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, the pageant officials straight out admitted that a platform was a way to sort of class up the pageant, remind people it's for scholarships, Mm -hmm. that they recognize that the ideal representative of America should be able to talk intelligently about issues. Um, But at the same time, in an effort to get ratings... In recent years, they've done things like cut talent competitions so that not as many girls compete on air with their talent. So I think that, you know, it's it's very interesting to see what they want the pageant to be, which is, you know, a little bit more cerebral, maybe just to maybe just a name, maybe just to get, you know, accolades and to keep the feminists from being too angry. But what they choose to emphasize on the on air portion are the swimsuits, are the evening gowns. Mm -hmm. So, and then the final night of the competition, which is, uh, what we all see is just swimsuit, evening wear, something called peer respect and leadership, a touch of talent, and then top five knowledge and understanding competition, which is always kind of the best part to me because that's when they, they ask the girls, you know, the, or the women, I should say, the, their, their questions that can sometimes get kind of funny answers because they're put on the spot. Um, yeah. Do that, yeah. What does that mean? Well, I, you know, that, that does raise the question is, you know, now you watch it kind of hoping someone screws up and becomes a YouTube phenomenon mm-hmm. because they're, you know, they're ditzy. But I think it probably does really aggravate the women who are smart, who show up and do pageants for the sake of getting scholarship money. Sure. There are plenty of contestants who you know, are in school at very reputable colleges and universities, law students, med students. I mean, they're definitely more than just pretty faces. So... I think that leads us well into the question of what do we want, Kristen? What is an ideal 
for a, someone who's going to have a title called Miss America, which arguably we don't need the title, but let's say there's going to be a Miss America. Yeah. We've got a crown one. Yeah. What do we want? You know, we, you know, you just admitted that you kind of like to see a girl be a little bit human, maybe not be perfectly poised like mm-hmm. a robot. You want to see someone who's authentic, which I think is why world peace gets to be such a joke is because they know that if they say that it rings some sort of bells. Right. Um, there was one time when they crowned um, a law student, Miss America, and she didn't cry. And people at home just wrote in and they were like, you know, we want to see someone get really touched that they're the new Miss America. Yeah. So it's the audience does want, you know, sort of a human. But if you're a strong woman, is that I don't I mean, I would hope I wouldn't cry if I was crowned Miss America. <laughs> so on the one hand, as Jessica Valeni pointed out in that Entertainment Weekly article, because Miss America is kind of become so irrelevant in pop culture, it might not be worth getting worked up over. Mm-hmm. Um, and on, and in addition to that, I think it's kind of cool that Miss America is like the number one scholarship organization for young women in the U S. I mean, they dole out, I think upwards of $40 million a year mm-hmm. for young women to go to, uh, to college. I mean, is it necessarily the best way to win a scholarship? I mean, really who's to say, well, that's what I'm point? asking you who would, what, what would be your qualifications of giving out a scholarship? What would be my qualifications? Yeah. Um, would a swimsuit be involved? Strength. <laughs> Piece of strength and mental challenges, yes. But would people tune in to watch that? I don't know. A lot of people tune in to watch the spelling bee. Spelling bee is awesome. So maybe we need to start having spelling bee while wearing a swimsuit competition. Yes, I think for Miss America, we add in an improv <laughs> section and something to do with coveralls. You know, really a coverall yeah. competition. Coverall competition. I don't know. I'd like to see uh, maybe a project runway element where they have to make their evening gown. Oh, that's good, Molly. Before they wear. Make the evening gown out of coveralls. Boom. I'd watch that. <laughs> um, but I, I think that that's the question that I'd like to pose to our listeners is what, what would be some good qualifications for a title of Miss America? And do we even need Miss America anymore? Do you even watch it? And one final question. Should we maybe change Miss America to Ms. America? Come on, people. It's 2010. You sound like you would have been on that boardwalk in 1968. Can you dig it, Molly? Which they described as being a groovy day. I, was. I really wish I could have been a writer in 1968. Oh, if only. Well, we will leave you with that. Why don't we head on to a little bit of listener mail. All right, I'm going to start off with a listener mail from Katie who wrote about our placenta podcast. She writes, I live on a cattle ranch in Montana, so I feel confident saying that I have seen many more placenta than most people my age, which is 17. And since you asked what it looked like, it is really gross, and I only say this because there's really no other word. I know you mostly mentioned human placenta, but I really can't see how it would be much different from a cow's. What I really wanted to tell was that, yes, placenta may have all sorts of goodies in it, but in my experience, it does more bad than good. The water sack and general mass of it can cause suffocation if the mother isn't paying attention. Generally, the cows will take care of their babies and then turn to eating the placenta. My family does not let this happen if we can because they can choke on it. The last evil of placenta is that when dry, it smells to high heaven. However, there is hope for the stuff. It is really disgusting, but my dogs love to eat the placenta that we take away from the cows. I try to stop it as much as possible, but that's not. there's not much that I can do. The upside of this bad habit is that my dogs have visibly shinier, softer, thicker coats, and stronger nails during calving season. Placenta well, dog food. Yes. There we go. All right. Well, I have an email here from Patrick, and he said, I just wanted to add a shout-out to a friend of my family back in Yellow Springs, Ohio. This is in reference to our podcast we did about female directors. 
Her name is Julia Reichert, and she is a writer, director, producer of several documentaries, including but not limited to The Last Truck, Closing of a GM Plant, which has been nominated for an Academy Award for Best Documentary. This is her third nomination. I think it would be cool if she got a shout-out on your podcast. Patrick, your wish is my command. (laughs) Here you go. And unfortunately, I think the Oscars will have probably aired by the time this is going live. Um, because this is not happening in real time, people. I'm sorry. But uh, I really hope that Julia Reichert took home an Oscar. So good luck, and thanks, Patrick. And if you would like to drop us a line as well, you can send us an email at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And you can also check out our blog. It's called How To Stuff. And you can check out articles that we have written as well on our home, howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?